Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. And today we got a bunch of news to break down. Big, big week in terms of news. And it's really exciting considering uh, there was absolutely nothing to talk about because the All-Star Game was this past weekend, um, which, you know, obviously led to a lack of just overall content. There was no games being played or anything like that. Um, you know, and I mean, we can briefly discuss the All-Star Game. I don't know if you watched any of it, Chase. I watched about 20 minutes of the skills competition, saw a lot of people bitching about it online, and that was the extent to I watched this weekend. But I uh, I spent very little time at home this weekend, and what time I did, I paid absolutely no attention to the All-Star game, which I'm pretty happy with that decision. Yeah, exactly. I, I um, Again, I, we, we kind of talked about it last week already, but it's, it's for the kids and, you know, for the people there live, I have heard. It is better live, um, and and if you have kids, it kind of sounds like a fun event. Toronto is hosting it in 2024. That got announced uh, uh, this weekend, which is two people that are kind of local to Toronto. It's kind of, kind of cool. I probably won't go next year either, but, um, you know, first time it's been in Toronto in 24 years, I think. So um, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I think that should be cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's just like it just kind of makes sense too, having it in the biggest – hockey city as well like you know um you don't need it every given the weather in february for an all-star game probably isn't gonna be great in toronto i definitely understand why they want to lean to warmer cities but at the same time you got to mix in every every uh city in there once in a while so yeah exactly i think it's it makes sense for the league like all around i feel i might even consider going to be honest it depends what tickets are. I feel like tickets will probably be stupid. But if it's like decent, I would I'd probably rather go for if you can get a one day ticket, I'd rather go for the skills competition than the um all-star game. A hundred percent. I feel like going that first night would be pretty cool. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I, I mean, yeah, just cooler of the of the two. I mean, the all-star game, again, like it is what it is. I don't mean if the kids like it, that's good. I no one's trying and I don't want them to try. You know, like the last thing I want is Brady Kachuk breaking an ankle because he blocked a shot in the All-Star game or something stupid like that, right? Well, that's the problem, right? Like the NFL plays flag football now or whatever. It's funny too, I've noticed every sport thinks their All-Star game's the worst. Uh, All-Star games just inherently suck because of that. There's just no incentive to try and I'm not sure there's a good solution. No, I, there's a reason that the only all-star game that doesn't completely suck is baseball. And that's because you can't fake trying in baseball. Like a, a pitcher has to throw 98 and you can't like a pitcher can't throw half speed in baseball, right? Like a hundred percent. And like, there's just so much less injury risk there. Yeah, uh, exactly. You can't erase it, but it's still a lot lower in baseball. Yeah. Like, and yeah. Like you're, you can't half swing in baseball or whatever. Like you're, you're more likely to get injured if you're doing that kind of stuff. Whereas, yeah, exactly. You can take it seriously and it still looks decent. Yeah, whereas baseball, or sorry, basketball, hockey, and football, it's like, yeah, well, those are all, and, and again, like not that baseball, it takes your toll, especially when you're playing 162, but like the chance that you absolutely blow a ligament out jumping up for a basketball or something, going hard all out versus running to second is a, quite different. Yeah, exactly. Just the fact that it's not contact is such a large advantage in that. Uh, in that yeah, one hundred percent. But um, yeah, that's all I really have on the All Star Game um, um, from this weekend. Uh, game start already tonight, and we're recording on uh, Tuesday. I guess they started yesterday. Now that I, now I mention it, which is kind of cool. There are a bunch of teams on a bye week as well, but um, there's been no shortage of news to talk about. That's for sure. Um, Let's start not with the biggest ones. I'd say with the two smallest signings, to be completely honest. But same team, um, the Washington Capitals have decided they're going to just play with the same roster for the next five years or so. Um, they're not going to make any changes to anyone because they can't. Uh, they lock in Dylan Strom to a five-year, $25 million deal, so a five-by-five five, uh, with the AAV there. And then they also lock in Sonny Milano. $1.9 million cap hit for three years, $5.7 million value. Um, I don't dislike either of these contracts. It's just one of those things where it's funny looking at Washington's cap friendly and like Lars Eller's up this year. And then there's a couple of their, their fourth line is basically up this year. Every single defenseman is up this year, but the rest of like their whole top nine is basically locked in forever. 
Um, I did not actually realize how many of their fans. That's hilarious. Orlov Jensen, TVR, <laughs> Eric Gustafson, Matt Irwin are all UFAs. Uh, Faravi and Alexander Alexiev are all are both RFAs. Every single defenseman needs to resign this year. That's tough. Yeah, John um, Carlson's off that list, but like, still, yeah, Car- that's, yeah. that's kind of crazy. I don't know if that's got to be rare, right? Like a once yeah. in a, a couple of years kind of thing, a team does that. Yeah, I can't remember seeing this too often on Cap Friendly, that's for sure. Yeah, John Carlson's on the LTIR, so he'll obviously be someone that they have in future years. Uh, Nick Dowd's on the injured reserve. He's also signed for two more years after this one. Uh, and then Connor Brown's on LTIR. He's done this year. And Carl Hagelin is up this year as well, also on LTIR. So, um, but yeah, they, um, they've locked in uh, Sonny Milano and Dylan Strom now. So they have Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Oshie, Mantha, Wilson, uh, Strom, and um, Milano all locked in, which is, I think, nine forwards I just named there um, for at least another year. Most of those guys for two or three years past this one. Uh, let's start with the Dylan Strong contract. That one was signed first. Give me your thoughts on that. I like this contract more than I expected to at first. I feel like this is a pretty fair con, somewhere between fair and, you know, like solid-ish. I think this is as fair as you're probably going to get. Like, I, I think yeah, this, when they talk about, like, dead middle win-win contract for both player and team, I think this is literally what you should cite. For a middle six yeah. guy. Yeah, exactly. And I'd rather, and why this is a way better con, or why I think it's fair is Dylan Strom's age, right? Like mm-hmm. the teams get into trouble signing this contract with 28 year old Dylan Strom, 25 year old Dylan Strom, go for this. It's not going to win you the cup on its own or probably ever even like, wow, we made the playoffs because of this contract or whatever, but like you could do a lot worse. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where I think I was looking at Evolving Hockey's projections and they had him at like, because I, I originally thought this was high when it came in. I, I won't lie. I went, wow, that seems like a, a lot. And then I kind of forget that Dylan Strom's only 25. Um, which, it's because he's played for so long. Those guys always seem to age so much faster in our mind than they do in real life. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I was looking at... Um, Evolving Hockey's contract projection coming in and coming into this year, his projected cap hit most likely term was one year at $2.6 million. Um, That was at 21%. Now his term, I should say five years was just as likely as a one-year term on this at both at 21%. When he went up to a five-year deal, the AAV went up to $5.5 million. So pretty much right on. Yeah. And now this is with different team as well as a UFA. If you change it to both of them, same um, it goes to most likely prediction was three years, 19%, and the three-year cap hit would have been uh, $4.5, $4.6 million. And then five-year uh, term was 18%, so literally 1% lower, and 4.925. So again, right on, like literally 75K off. Yeah, that's a pretty big dub for the uh, the evolving hockey model. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I think this is, again, right in line with market based on you know, because considering their use their uh, thing uses time on ice and and points and stuff like that as contract uh, projectables as well. Um, and uh, yeah, him being a twenty five year old, I think is um, the reason why I like this contract for for Washington. As he said, like if this is a twenty nine year old signing this contract, probably go. Yeah, I'm a little more skeptical. He's going to be worth five million dollars in four years. But by the time he comes to the end of this contract, maybe he's not worth five million dollars. But also. Cap keeps rising. I'm sure if he's like a third liner by the end of this contract, making $5 million, probably not the end of the world. That's the thing, right? The cap's going up. I feel like the floor is pretty all right for this. Like, again, I don't think the ceiling's there either, which is why I call it a fair contract. But yeah, it's just pretty reasonable for both sides. Yeah, I I fully agree. I don't think one once I stole a ton of value here or, or anything like that, right? Like it was just uh, um, a good deal. Yeah. And especially for a guy that struggled to find a team, it's probably nice to have some certainty. Yep. And I think that can be said about our next guy too. And Sonny Milano, who, you know, but bounced up and down with Columbus for a bunch of years and went to Anaheim and, and, you know, 
two years in Anaheim, didn't really stick there full time either. You know, I think he was injured for one of the years and then, um, you know, had a full year in Anaheim where he had 34 points in 66 games and has followed that up this year with 22 and 40, um, including five games in the AHL, which I'm wondering if that was just a conditioning stint, um, you know, when he was hurt or something like that. But, um, you know, Sonny Milano is a guy where he was one of the UFAs this year where we were kind of wondering why no one had signed him. And, you know, I don't know, people, I had heard rumors of attitude issue. I have no idea if that's correct or not, but he signs a yeah. three-year three year deal. Of, oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, there's, of course, a chance those are true with the fact that you were on side. I kind of wonder if people just, like, start blindly assuming that anyways, though, about players who the league isn't as high on as the public. Like, I'm always skeptical if people say those rumors because they just – can't explain why the player is not signed to like I never yeah it's one of those stuff, things right? where it's near impossible to verify um obviously you know like some people claim they have sources and everything like that and maybe it is true maybe it's not but yeah it, it's one of those things where it's like I think there's very very few cases in the NHL we can tell it's actually accurate and like even then it's not usually guys who go unsigned surprisingly yeah. Um, because the more I feel like the more often we hear about it is the star players who bounce around and you go, why are they been like Evander Kane comes to mind, right? And yeah. even with Evander Kane for a number of years, it was like, well, you know, you want to be you're a little skeptical playing the bad attitude card for one of the few people of color in the league. But then all yeah. the stuff goes down with him in San Jose and it's you know, it's ex-wife or now ex-wife, I believe, and like it comes to light where it's like, yeah, okay, that mixed with the stories we heard earlier makes more sense. Not just one or the other, or not just one side of baseless rumors, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's just, unless Elliot Friedman's tweeting that he's a dickhead, there's so many reasons to be skeptical of that, even though it is plausible. Yeah, it is a possibility for sure. But at the same time, you know, the Washington Capitals brought him in and feel like they can reward him with a three-year 1.9 per uh, contract, which... um uh, is actually a little under what uh, Evolving Hockey projected. They had him as the, with the same team. Uh, they had his, uh, the most likely term is three years, 28% uh, chance of happening, $2.579 million cap hit. So um, if you're going strictly by their model, the Washington Capitals get about a 600K discount. Um, again, I would say a, a relatively fair deal, though. I, I think this one has more upside for Washington just with how small the cap hit is. Like, I don't think Milano is going to be a point per game player or anything like that. But if you were getting a guy who plays on your third line and puts up 45, 50 points, that is really good value for less than $2 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'd be pretty happy with that. And that's kind of what he looks like he's going to be right. Like, I mean, just doing quick math, like the quick math in my head, but 22 points in 40 games probably puts them right around that 40, yeah, 45.1 points over 82 games on the dot, on the dot. So um, yeah, like a 45 point guy, which again, he's got to show some more consistency. You know, he's had multiple years in a row where if you extrapolate his numbers out, he's close to that 40 to 45 point, but hasn't actually hit it. Um, even this year, you know, with missing time to what I'm assuming is injuries likely, it looks like he won't probably hit that. But if you can get a guy that can give you a 40 ish points, 35 to 45 points, you take that every day. Yeah, and it seems like a pretty big win for everybody in the summer. It was like, hey, sign this guy. Kind of been exactly what he was sold as. Just like a nice little depth piece. Yeah, and like how many teams would take that depth piece right now too, right? Like Florida would love that, I'm sure, as a, a cheap piece to fit in their bottom six. Ottawa, I can tell you, would absolutely love that right now as more depth. Hell, I'm sure even a team like Toronto would probably use that in terms of just like, a nice guy they know they can fit under the cap for $2 million for the next three years. Yeah, a contender or two is definitely at least a good example. Look, Going to look for someone like that at the trade deadline and give up a decent amount, like a second-round pick or something to do so. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then the Capitals have battled their way back into the playoff picture here, um, which is kind of funny. They're up to 27, 20, and 6. They are fourth in the Metro, which went three points ahead of the – Penguins, but they have played four more games than the Penguins, so by point percentage, they're probably much closer to the bubble. Um, but yeah, they're in a playoff spot by four points right now, um, and they have three more games played than the Sabres, who are the team on the outside looking in, as well as the Islanders. But the Islanders have 53 games played as well, so um, yeah. the Capitals have quietly built themselves back up, despite having a ton of injuries that they've had to deal with this year. 
Yeah, yeah, they're back, which is really surprising given like the age of the team and everything. I I kind of figured when they were down, they were down. You know, yeah, I, if that makes sense. I kept going like this is the year, like because every year we go one of the Capitals, uh, Penguins, or Bruins have to fall off here, right? And they never seem to. They always seem to stick around. But we've seen the Penguins have really slow starts or be injured all year and then kind of sneak into the playoffs, but look really good by the end of the year. With the Capitals, especially the past couple of years, there's been the odd time where, like, they came eight last year, and they've been eight a couple times. But it usually feels like they are right in that division hunt. Even if they fall out a little bit by the end and are not going to win it, it never really feels like they're chasing a playoff spot. Because even last year, they came eighth, but they had 100 points and were, like, 23 points clear of a playoff spot. They were never in. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas this year, they are... 16 points off the division lead. Like, you know they're not winning the division, which is not something we've been able to say about the Capitals in February in a long time. Yeah, since like the Dale Hunter years. Yeah, maybe last year too. I, I'd have to go back and look. But even again, even last year, I feel like there's a number of times in February and March where it's like, no, they're still pushing and like they probably won't, but they're in the race. Yeah, they're at least... They're like on paper close. The they're Batman close is probably a way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like part of the reason last year too is the Rangers were one of the team leading, and they just they felt like they were built on a house of cards. Whereas yes, which helped too, yeah, exactly. But this year you don't really see the thirty four nine and eight Hurricanes with seventy six points. I mean, obviously they're going to slow down from the nine zero and one and seven game win streak they're on right now. But um, you know they're not slowing down to the point where it's like the Capitals are making up sixty points or anything. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have much more to say on these two good signings. I, I don't think it's going to matter too much in the grand scheme of things for the Capitals. I think it's probably fair to say they're destined to, to be a team kind of where they are right now over the next couple of years, where I don't think they're really going to be competing a serious competitor for the Metro division, but they definitely have enough talent where they're going to be around the playoff bubble. And the, their main goal is to get Ovechkin as many goals as he can anyway. So, um, it doesn't really matter as long as that these signings help that, which I think given the depth, you know, giving depth to the team is something that helps the, the team succeed. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's go on to a couple of the bigger signings then. Let's stay in the Metro division and uh, talk about a guy that we talked about a lot last week and they said a contract might happen. I did not think it was going to happen this quickly. Bo Horvat ups for eight years at $8.5 million with the New York Islanders. When GM Lou Lamorello was asked about this contract and the details for it, he said it's too much term and too much money. That is a direct quote. And people were laughing. I laughed at it. And I get like... Lou just thinks everyone make in the league makes too much money this year. And in a way, he's kind of correct in terms of how the UFA pay structure is settled out. But Saintsman, you're the dude who signed this guy. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'd be lying if I said I don't understand his point and even agree with it when we're talking about UFA contracts for too long for too much. But my God, dude. That's a tough thing to hear after you just signed that. Exactly. No, and then what do you think Bo Horvat here is coming in here? Like, he hasn't even played a game for the organization. It's like, damn, thanks. My GM's already calling me overpaid. Yeah. Yeah, the, the leader of the – like, I don't I don't see what value that adds. Like, just go and do the PRBS and say, we think Bo Horvat's uh, a great player, plus he adds things off the ice. He's a great leader that can't be quantified, and we think he'll be – work this contract and we're happy to have them for eight years on Long Island or whatever. Like what's the downside to just saying that? And the weirdest part is like Lou Lamorell is the king of just saying bullshit like that, that actually gives people nothing. Yeah. 100%. Like no one does it better than him. And yeah, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's just a bizarre quote. It's just, um, the, how much cap space do you think this team has for next year right now already committed? Uh, so like, and I'll, I'll give you numbers before so you have an idea. They have two, four, six, eight, ten. If you count Simon Holstrom, who's on his ELC, they have 12 forward signed for next year. And they have two, four, five defensemen signed for next year and a goalie. So they need a backup goalie, 
They need at least they're going to have to re-sign Wallstrom, who's not uh, as a forward. He's not uh, one of the forwards under contract yet. And they need to sign probably two more defensemen. Really. Both they, they do have two RFA in the Samuel Bulldog and, and Parker Wotherspoon. I'm going to guess they have less than three million dollars in cap space for next year already. So assuming it's at 81 and a half, like it is this, it'll probably go up a couple mil, maybe a mil or two is what they're, it sounds like they're projecting, but they have $76.5 million in committed money already for next season. Jeez. So what's that? Probably five mil is their most likely left uh, amount. Yeah, let's, let's be generous for them and say the cap goes up $1.5 million. They have about $6.4 million in, in cap space right now to re-sign Wallstrom Find a backup goalie because Varlamov's off this year. Uh, find a guy to replace Scott Mayfield uh, and also another defenseman because that still only gives you six defensemen. And then, yeah, that, that'll probably be it because that'll be uh, Wallstrom would be the 13th. Well, obviously, wouldn't be the 13th forward, but that'd be the 13th forward on the roster. So, like, it's technically doable, but this team's going to get worse next year, is my point, because of the cap crunch. Like, I don't know what they do with Wallstrom. I think they probably have to bridge him. Yeah, I mean, they, they won't have a choice. That's probably not the worst idea, too, but... Still. Yeah, I mean, I think if you... Like, if I'm Wallstrom, I probably want to bridge because I think if you're the Islanders, you could probably get him under a decent contract just given his counting stats are nowhere near as strong as I think people think they are. That's the thing, right? He hasn't really done anything to... And, like... If I'm the the Islanders, I'm legitimately scared of committing term. Like, as he's not a sure thing or anything remotely close to it. No, but at the same time, I feel like with this contract, you almost have to commit term because you need the upside win. That's also a good point. They don't really have another contract. I guess Barzell's does, but like they don't really have another contract with the potential to be a steal, do they? And you're obviously no. going to need steals at some point to be competitive. I think this this team's fucked anyways in terms of being competitive. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no but, amount. If Wallstrom like Wallstrom scored at like a 15 goal pace in the NHL thus far, if he doubles that out of nowhere on an ELC which he's not going to re-sign an ELC, but say he, even if he triples that, if Wallstrom becomes a 45 goal scorer next year, making 700 K, you know, that with certainty, are you picking this team to make the playoffs? Playoffs? Maybe just because I don't love the division. Yeah. Maybe. But even then, I don't, it's not a slam dunk. Like they're, I don't think they're beating the Canes. I don't think they're beating the Devils. And then like, I would still, probably take the Rangers over them, but, you know, with Sorokin added in, maybe that's a bit more of a mix. But, like, they're definitely not top two in this division. Exactly, and that's with me saying they just got Tage Thompson for the just out of thin air on an ELC. Yeah. And and so, like, that's when it comes back to this Besser contract. Like, good for him. This is absolute steal, like, win for him, but it's just like... Horvat, you mean? Or Horvat, yeah, sorry, not Besser. Um, yeah. Horvat, it's like, this is an absolute win for him, but, like, the hell is this Islanders team going to do? Yeah, that I I hope his agent didn't sell him on like you're going to play a bunch of playoff series here. I hope he's fully aware of uh, what's going to happen with this team. I mean, you just like, and I get it's the player's job to let the agent do their work and stuff like that. But if you are that naive that you don't really like, if you can't realize that as a player either, it's time to yep. give your head a shake of what business you're in, right? Like. Yep, you're right. But, um, yeah, I mean, so absolutely like, good, good for him to get the bag. 8.5 is honestly even more. I thought he'd maybe get 8 by 8, and I wouldn't have loved that. Like Again, like he's not a bad player, but he's what, like a second-line center? Maybe a, a very poor first-line center? Um, In that, like, yeah. 25 to 35 range? The way we used to always talk about Leafs cadre is probably the way I think about Bo Horvat. Yeah, like I think that's fine. And like behind Barzell, he will be good. Like the Barzell Horvat one two is is a good one two to have, but it's the age that like is it's just so concerning. And yeah, that's that's the thing, right? It's not like like if Bo Horvat falls off at 
all this contract is worth it. He has nowhere to fall from. He's been probably worth marginally more than this on his shooting heater. Actually, he's been worth more than this on his shooting heater, but like it's pretty easy to be worth an absurd amount of money when you're shooting way higher than you ever have before in your career. Like his expected value is this at best for next year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw Don's model have this contract be like a total of minus 1.5 wins or something like that. I believe it. it that sounds pretty reasonable. Like, I don't and know the, what fair is for him on a seven-year deal, but it's got to be like, it probably starts with a six or a seven. Probably yeah, I would say if you're factoring in age as well, six and a half by six, seven by six maybe. Yeah, something like that. Because... Just the downside risk. There's no upside really at 8.5 is the problem. Like no, there's no, not. he's worth more than this now. We'll pay for it later, but that's okay. Like, yeah. Dom had his total. Um, um, hold on here. On ice value, total 14.2 wins. Uh, model value, 62.3 million. So a surplus of negative 0.7 mil per season. Which yeah. is about negative zero point two wins. And keep in mind, Dom's model. I get why he does this mathematically, but like, if you sign a team of break even contracts on Dom's model, you're not going to be good because of just the way it works on his end. Like, there's multiple players with like ten million dollar surplus values. Yeah, the the average contract is probably like a two million dollar surplus or something in that calculation. So like, yeah. that's even worse than it sounds. Yeah, exactly right. And so, um, and again, like this is the best way probably to highlight just what position the Islanders are going to be in here, like in twenty four twenty five. So that's two seasons from now. They are going to have a 34-year-old Anders Lee making $7 million. They are going to have a 33-year-old Brock Nelson making $6 million. They are going to have a 32-year-old John Gabriel Pajot making $5 million. A 34-year-old Colin Palmieri making $5 million. A 29-year-old Bo Horvat making $8.5 million. A 33-year-old Casey Zizekas making $2.5 million. Um, a... 30-year-old Palak and Pulak making a combined, like, $12 million. Um, again, like, not all of those are horrible contracts, but I just named a total of... And then, yeah, even Barzell's going to be 27 at that point, but even excluding Barzell, I just named, what, a total of, like, eight guys that are going to be 30-plus, and those eight guys basically make up, like, 46, $48 million a year cap right now. Yeah, like this. I don't get what the plan is. The plan, I think well, I do get the is, plan. Sorry, I, I don't get how it works. What I, I don't understand say. why ownership's allowing this to happen, but the plan is pretty obvious. Of Lou realizes he's either <laughs> this year or next if they don't have some success, so he does not care and he's throwing all care to the wind. Yeah, you could probably teach a course on moral hazard <laughs> using this as an example. Yeah, which is why you find it, find it funny not more people are talking about, like, how Kyle Dubas is approaching the year, because it's the exact opposite of, like, Overdrive had just had LeBron on yesterday, and he was saying, you wouldn't even know Dubas is in a contract year, because he's told people, he's like, I don't want to trade asset, like, I don't want to trade my first round pick away, I want it for future years. And this is a dude who doesn't have a contract for next year, and obviously it's a lot easier to say that as a guy who has a team that has looked primed to win around for, like, four years now, is what 40 years old versus Lou the dinosaur who could retire at any minute now and it would be probably 10 years too late. Um, but still, like it's just one of those things where it's kind of the, the difference between organizations where you have one GM who does it's very public that he doesn't have a contract for next year and is still approaching it like team first attitude, and you have another guy who is throwing the future to the wind, just absolutely screwing this team going forward. But it doesn't matter because you're trying to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. Like, even if the Leafs fire Dubas tomorrow and are better for it in the future, the most valuable thing relative to, like, replacement level, because a lot of GMs do what Lou does, uh, Kyle Dubas will have ever done for this organization. 
is not sell the farm to try to save his job. Yeah, exactly. Like and and you can make the uh, um, argument, obviously, for like Toronto that they should be selling the farm to go all in this year. But that's different than like getting fleeced just to make a trade to try and save your job, you know? Yeah, just because if you don't make the playoffs, you're fired or some shit. So you sign an eight-year contract that's obviously going to be awful just so you can get another couple of years. Exactly. So, uh, and then our last contract that came today, I uh, did not see this one coming, but uh, Dylan Cousins signed an extension, $7.1 million uh, AAV. Uh, and it is a seven-year contract um, for a total of $49.7 million. Um, almost all in base salary has a $2 million signing bonus in his first year. And then the rest of it is 7.1 base salary. Um, I like this for Buffalo. I, I think this is the exact kind of contract that they should be trying to sign. Yeah. The Sabres hired a bunch of smart people and have all of a sudden started doing a whole bunch of really smart things. Yeah. And like, I kind of thought, I didn't realize how good the cousins counting stats were this year. They're amazing. Yeah, like he's had 43 points in 49 games. I thought this was going to be kind of the thing where it's like, yeah, you get him when he's undervalued and he hasn't scored quite as much. And, and honestly, like last year, he only had 38 points in 79 games or whatever. And But, you know, his uh, underlying numbers have improved every year too. Like he's looked good this year, underlying numbers. And, you know, that's been a big improvement over his first couple of years as well. Like there's been constant growth. I, I And, you know, high pedigree and everything like that. Like I really, I really like this guy. I think this has the potential. And I think I saw you tweet this as well, that, this, you know, contracts that are signed similar to this one sometimes become some of the biggest deals in the league. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Through our, our system, his closest comparables, um, the floor, there is, there's a trio, of, or Galchenyuk and Druan are in this cohort of like 30 players. Uh, Chris Stewart also never, or Devin Setaguchi were neither great. So there's four players who didn't turn out to be great. After that, Goes Tyler Sagan, Braden Point, Matt Duchesne, Bobby Ryan, Logan Couture, Jeff Skinner, Nikita Kucherov, Jordan Everly, Jamie Benn, Ryan Johansson, Johnny Goodrow, um, Timu Meyer, Kyle Connor, Jason Robertson, Line A, Caulfield. How many of those guys have been in the best contract in the league conversation at some point? It's weirdly fitting that they picked the model, doesn't know they all seem to have been in that conversation, but. Yeah, like it, a bunch of those guys it, you just mentioned have been in the MVP conversation for at least a year at a time. Yeah, all well, generally they've done it while making way less money than they should. Yeah, and then even on like the quote-unquote lower end, like if you get a Bobby Ryan in his peak for seven, you're going to 30 goal score for $7.1 million. Yeah, Bobby Ryan was worth $7 million when Bobby Ryan was making $7 million like half a decade ago. Never mind, yeah. you're getting the this in the future with a higher cap and potentially better. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, even his years in Ottawa there in 2013 to like 2016, where he was averaging 20 ish goals a year, basically. And, and, you know, just unfortunately couldn't stay healthy. Like even that was probably close to $7 million. And again, like the cap's going up and, and I think, you know, Dylan Cousins is probably going to be better than a 40 point player or a 50 point player, which is kind of what Bobby Ryan settled into in Ottawa. But Again, even if Cousins settles into like a 55-point player who plays on your second line and just has good underlying numbers, like that's worth $7 million. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. It's worth it on its own. The floor is... And again, like I think that's... Un that Like people would be disappointed if that's what you told them now. Yeah, but that is definitely within the range of outcomes. And plus you have like borderline MVP ceiling. That's all right. Yep. Especially exactly. because um, same with like priors. He's still somewhat young. So the priors can matter. He's a top 10 pick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like this guy's had how much hype for a number of years now? Yep. Like if you say the, the guy drafted closest to him in that cohort is Logan Couture, who he looks slightly better than at the same age. If you get Logan Couture out of this, you're freaking thrilled. Yeah. 100%. You love that. Yeah, and there's like I'm saying, there's more potential for a better than that Logan Couture contract. Like this is this is as close to a sure win as you can possibly find. I think. Yep, Without I signing think... like McDavid or some shit. Yeah, yeah, especially because like, let's say, um, 
for whatever reason, it just does not work out. Like he just, he hits a cliff in, and in two, three years, you know, let's say in three years you, you go like, man, this just isn't working. This dude, for whatever reason, hit the lowest of lows of his possibility. He's just not a good player. You know, buying out costs them a $1.1 million cap hit for seven years. Jeez. So yeah. So there's the downside is even lower than I had originally thought. If you could buy him out almost scot-free. And that's why you should be signing a lot of these contracts because he'd still be age 25, 26 around there where it's like, that's exactly what Ottawa did with Colin White too. Like they took a swing. It didn't work out, but the buyout does not hurt them because you only have to pay, I think one third of the salary. And so the cap hit is just so minuscule. And obviously it wouldn't be ideal. Like you're not, I'm I'm not saying Buffalo. And I don't think I would be shocked if Buffalo had to buy him out in three years. And honestly, I think you could probably find like how many times have we seen top 10 picks, even if he's like a, 45 point guy that I'm sure they could trade him for something as well. But regardless, like it's just one of those things where the absolute worst downside is you have to buy him out in three or four years. You're just on the book for like $1.1 million in, in cap it for, you know, obviously an extended time. That's not ideal, but it's the not a bad outcome. Yeah, exactly. When you're talking worst case, like this is contingency planning. This is something has gone horribly wrong and the outcome still isn't that bad. Yeah, literally, like this is the one percentile that you can't have happen or you don't want to see happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that these these kind of contracts are just um, no, no brainers, really, in my opinion, for teams to be signing. Um, again, like the, the upside is just so high with a player like this. And again, as we mentioned, the downside is just it's not there in terms of crippling your organization long term. Yes, exactly. Like. To sign uh, the way the Johnny Gaudreau contract looked like when he was making his whatever he was making before he signed his big deal or whatever, like these massive or the Kucherov contract to sign these massive steals, you got to take a risk at some point. And I mean, this is a risk worth taking because it could pay out like that. Yeah, 100%. Um, that was all the signings. I There was an interesting take I saw from friend of the podcast, our friend of the podcast, Chris, on Twitter. Uh, the other day, and it was it had to do with Dylan Gunther being sent down. Um, I don't know okay. if you saw that he got sent down by, to the WHL by the Coyotes um, this week. I did. And yeah. a lot of that was because they they save an extra year of eligibility, I believe, on, on the end of his contract. Um, yeah. Man, I'm just trying to find the actual tweet. He tweets a lot. Uh, um, he does. But it was basically like, I never really thought about it this way, but burning a year of the LC is actually probably better for the team long-term because it usually means you're probably going to get a better chance of getting them cheaper right out of their contract because they just have a year less to actually produce. And I agree with that. That's what fucked the least with Marner relative mm-hmm. to Nylander. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, like I completely agree. I just, I never really thought about it like that. And then I went, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, it's a great idea because it just makes everything so much cheaper. Because there's, you have to be, you have to have some level of risk tolerance to do it, because it it does mean there's a lot more uncertainty when you're sign going to the negotiation table. But again, as a team, you can capitalize on uncertainty with things like this cousin situation, where you may end up with something we're looking back on as the best contract in the NHL. Yeah, exactly, and obviously there's other factors too, like how heavily do you weigh. Does playing like does getting shelled in the NHL as an eighteen-year-old actually hurt development? Um, yeah, which is entirely possible. Exactly. I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think it's probably case by case, and obviously, like how extreme is it and stuff. Because you know, like Brady Kachuk, obviously he wasn't getting shelled himself. The team was getting shelled, and Tim Stutzla got shelled as an eighteen-year-old. And both of those guys look very like the contracts that they've signed now look very, very good. But. Um, yeah, like it, it, so I found the tweet. Burning ELC years is actually far better overall because one, it usually brings the RFA extension AAV down. So for anyone who doesn't understand what this means really is, Dame Stutz is the perfect example. And so he steps in as an 18-year-old, um, you know, looks pretty good, like flashes, flashes the skill that he obviously shows, but still a bit smaller of a guy or whatever, you know, needs to put on some body weight. 29 points in 53 games in his first NHL season. Not bad, like on pace for about a 55-point season. Next year, 58 points in 79 games. Again, not bad. You know, definitely taking another step forward, but still some growth to be had. 
he now is eligible because he played those first two years to sign his contract before this year started. That is what the Ottawa Senators did. And they gave him, I believe, his $8.125 million. And everyone looked and went, why the f- are you giving a guy who hasn't even hit 60 points yet $8 million? Well, the reason is he has 22 goals, 27 assists for 49 points in 46 games this year. So he breaks out in year three. They have now already paid. And even if they waited this year, I don't think the contract would be like 11 mil or anything. Now, if the alternative is he plays another year in the AHL and comes up and burns years one in his 58-point year, year two is a game where an 85-point year, and year three is a, I don't know, let's say he gets 99 points next year. That's obviously a lot, but the potential is there. Suddenly the 8 by 8.125 deal he signed probably turns into eight years at like 10.5, 11 million dollars. Very, very easily. Now you're signing the Marner contract. Exactly. And, and so that is the prime example of why you shouldn't be worried to burn an ELC year, especially on a guy like that who, you know, it's very clear you have confidence in that's going to perform. Um, you know, he's, and then sorry, back to the tweet is you actually align pay better with performance, which is fair. Good cheap play from 18 to 20 year olds is great for the cap. Again, totally agree. Um, yep. And then much, much better music in the locker rooms, probably. Um, and then number five is you won't be a dick. And this is the thing I feel like people don't uh, understand as much. And maybe it doesn't matter because, you know, you get the, the it's a business gets tossed around all the time. Right. But the difference between making ELC money and even getting sent to the AHL is like 10 times. You know, you make 900K on an ELC, you make 90K on an, in, in the AHL. You oh, it's zero dollars in junior. Exponential. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where it's like, I have to imagine if you're nickel and diming a player for every cent all the way through, they're going to want to do the same to you in the negotiations where, again, you bring them up. And even if it's not going great, you pay them their full salary all the way through. Like they're probably going to be willing to more sign on more early with you. A hundred percent. But, and yeah, and um, so right under the street too, I didn't even see this, but uh, he uses Jack Hughes as a perfect example. And then same thing with Tim Stutzler, right? Like, quote unquote, struggles for his first two seasons, signs the extension. And imagine if he wasn't signed now, it's probably $12 million. Oh, 100%. I'm looking at this now. I think I think our new system is going to be a lot higher on uh, these extensions because a lot of the times you'll see like an age curve will say they're not that good guess who the same system with that i was just talking about with cousins has his stuzzles comparisons out of out of when he's going into signing that contract um i mean is hughes too early yeah hughes is too early it'd be 2014 and before would patrick Kane be there Kane's not, but Dreisaitl is. Phil Kessel, Pasternak, Barkov, and then Evander Kane's way lower scoring, but still in the call. So you just need four, like, I mean, like, three of the best players right now. And, you know, Kessel is an unreal player in his own right, too. And this is young Phil Kessel, too. So this is before the defense hit a cliff and everything. Like, this is when Phil Kessel was legitimately a top 15 player in the sport or whatever. Yeah, and like I get like that just excites me so much. And yeah, like that is the exact reason why I keep I bet you Hughes is probably very similar in terms of names, right? Like because he's yep. already taken that step forward and looks like he's gonna be, you know, one of those top five wingers for years or center, sorry, for years to come. And like again, that's why you take the risk and should be okay with it, especially with high drop bets. Yeah, hundred percent. And then for Hughes is actually in the same cohort. That's kind of funny. So he would be, they will be comparables for each other once they have. At this point in time, they will be each other's comps once there's enough out of sample data on them. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, this is a take that I'm going to be insufferable about if it does come true, because I've been beating the drum all year that Tim Stutz is going to have the breakout season next year that Jack Hughes is having this year in terms of fan popularity, in terms of actual results underlying results all that it's all right there it all looks so similar and even just watching him you can tell the talents there he just needs you know the better team i think around him to get the love for it yeah 100 percent. i like i said if those are the guys who he's comparing to and i mean a classic problem with this is i'm just using like scoring statistics um stuzzle's 
beyond scoring statistics look amazing too. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. not like he's a point merchant at no. this point. Yeah, like he's been his I mean his first year his underlying numbers are a little scary and then but again he's he was an 18 year old and then yeah. they started to improve as the year went on and then last year he was like unreal defensively. He's like, well yeah in the summer I just wanted to get good defensively. Like I, I felt like that was something I struggled with. So I I just focused on it. And this year he's been dominating offense and just been a, a, an average defensive player, which is totally fine when you're almost two standard deviations in every offensive category. Yeah, exactly. If you can have your offensive stars be average defensively, you probably have one of the best players in the league. 100%. So um, this is yeah. also kind of a, this is a tangent, but with the deadline coming up, I think this makes sense. See, and I'm coming along come to the, the Chris side of things who you had mentioned earlier about teams being more willing to give up on prospects because by even like your draft plus three, the guys who are going to be superstars are usually in the NHL. Mm-hmm. There are misses or whatever, but like it starts to get pretty clear cut who's good and who's not. Like the upside gets so capped on guys still playing in the NCAA by year three or near four kind of thing. Yeah, like I bet you, and obviously we don't have the time today to go through it, but like if we went and made a list of the 50 best or even let's go 20 best players today that are like 28 and younger. If we went back and looked where they were in at age 20 in their career, I'd yeah. be willing to bet 90% of them were already in the NHL and an even higher amount of that were probably already looking good in the NHL. Whether yeah, they were I've, looking like top five player good might be a little different, but yeah, and the maybe and the outliers are probably most likely to be massacring the KHL, SHL, and Liga. Yeah, like it's just I, I the Tage Thompson stuff has been brought up a lot, and that teams are going to use that as reasons to convince themselves as revisionist history as to why they shouldn't let up their prospect when that is absolutely the exception, not the norm. Yeah, exactly, and I worry about it like. Matthew Knees was the same draft as these guys, right? Yeah, that sounds right. He was 2019? Uh, 2020? 2020, yeah. Yeah, 2020 was Stutzel's draft. 2019 was Hughes. Yeah, so it scares me when people expect, like, superstardom um, out, of, out of players like this. Because if you're not already on, like, a rather obvious trajectory to stardom by the time you're 21, it's still possible, but... The odds fall off way faster than the median person, I think, is aware of. Yeah, generally speaking, you need some uncommon situation, whether that's being stuck in the KHL or, or you know, another one that I keep thinking of, and I don't know if this will actually prove true or not, but um, Calgary seems ref- just to refuse to bring any of their prospects up and use them properly, despite their prospects absolutely torching the AHL for three years. Now, yeah. <laughs> like, that's not the prospect. It's not Connor Zari's fault or whatever um, that he can't get a call up from his stubborn old coach despite – and honestly, Connor Zari's maybe not the best uh, best example. Uh, Pel- Pel- Peltier is, I think, a better example. Who, yeah. Um, absolutely destroyed the, the, the minors. But, like, it's not his fault that he can't get called up and used in a proper way because his coach refuses to do it um, at age 21. But – like he had still went over point per game in the AHL for a year and a half now. Yeah. Um, so that it's like those specific cases, it's like, well, maybe you can see that in terms of like, that's why it happened. But yeah, it's like the, the odds are that a dude, especially again in the NCAA, if they're not, they better be absolutely freaking torching the league. Like Matthew Knight should be putting up like three points per game. If you expect him to be a legitimate, like top line difference maker. When he steps into the league, but he's not exactly because somebody like Fantilli, who I don't know, like Fantilli's outscoring somebody like Knees. Fantilli's actually going to be a star in this league, and he's doing that at 18 years old, and that's why he's going to be a star, right? Because that's happening at age 18 rather than age 22 or whatever. 100. percent So um, yeah, that was a bit of a tangent, but I think it was a good discussion. Like I think, and it's something that you definitely don't think about, but like even just saying the idea of signing a player or burning an ELC year, because we think about it so backwards, right? But the idea of burning an ELC year is actually a smart thing to do, you know, seems contrarian at first, but then you think about it, it's like, no, that does actually make sense. 
Yeah, 100%. So um, the only other thing I had real quick before we left was there was another trade. Um, and usually I wouldn't even touch on this trade, uh, the kind of trade, because it is very, very small. Um, but I thought it was worth noting. The Seattle Kraken made a short little pickup, I thought. Um, they acquired Jacob Megna, who I just found out there's a Jacob and a Jason. I always knew Jason Megna. And that's what I thought got traded. And I kind of went, why? That doesn't seem right, because Jason Megna is not very good. Um, yeah. I uh in, I did the same thing. Exactly. In the meme of the I was I apologize. I was unfamiliar with your game. Jacob Magna. Uh this is actually a pretty good pickup for a bottom pair. They give up a fourth round pick. Uh the condition is on the fourth round pick is Seattle decides by June 15th um which fourth round pick they want to give up. So they have their own and they also have Colorado's. Um this is a solid pickup for a team that again, like they're already one of the just generally deeper teams in the league. They pick up another guy for their blue line who um, he's not a difference maker or anything like that, but he's a solid defensive defenseman who's probably going to be a number six for them. Yeah, nice little depth piece. Those that never hurts. No, and like again, like I, I usually wouldn't even bring this up, but like he's just someone who's flown under the radar. And again, he's not amazing or anything like that, but he's in his um, I think this is his second full year of playing and. Both years, he's just put up pretty solid results. So, Which, yeah, the, it's the kind of thing that um, when people say like analytics versus like scouting or coaches or whatever, like these are the kind of players that probably make make a coach and an analytics staff very happy. Like, <laughs> you can find somebody to do both. Yep, exactly. And like the, the way he was described, like a big body physical defensive defenseman or whatever. Like I can't I cannot say I've watched any game, but he is six six um and two hundred and twenty-one pounds. So like he's a big boy, obviously. But like, yeah, like this is one of those things where I'm sure his tape looks pretty good in terms of being a defensive defenseman and the stats go along with it. So it's like you got both of those there and and they're not clashing with each other. You don't have to give up like a fourth round pick is you know, it's not nothing. And I, I look at it from San Jose's perspective in terms of you're not getting a value out of a 26-year-old in a re, like when you're entering a rebuild. So you get a fourth-round pick. It's a lottery ticket or whatever. But, you know, I, I just think this is one of those trades that are really screwed by both sides. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lottery ticket works well. You'd rather have the lottery ticket than the, the number six good defensive defenseman if you're competing. And then they get a competent player to lower their coach's blood pressure for pretty cheap. That sounds like a win-win. Yep, 100%. So um, I think that's all, unless you had anything else, Chase. Yeah, I think I'm good. Perfect. Um, Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, we'll talk to you uh, next week. Um, You can find all our stuff at – all my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. I'm going to keep continuing to write a a couple of rumors pieces, and uh, obviously the trade deadline comes up. There'll be lots to talk about. Uh, You can also find all my stuff on, on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Um, you can find Chase's stuff at theactionnetwork.com and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, where he's posting a lot of stuff from the Substack as well. So make sure you go check that out as well as the model that he posts as well, which is really cool. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And as always, we will talk to you next week.